Hebrews 5. If you have not found that yet, we encourage you to find that. Hebrews chapter 5. Today is introduction day. I have uh, sat in on, uh, or at least listened to uh, a couple of messages that particularly stand out in my mind where the guy went on for about 45 minutes and then at the end of 45 minutes he says, that's the introduction. And then he preached for another 45 minutes or, or so. But that's not my goal. That, uh, in no way is that uh, of interest to me in any way. But yet today's still going to be introduction of that which we desire to do over the next, really, several weeks. First four verses, Hebrews chapter 5, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. When we got to Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, we have entered now into a very critical part of this epistle, a section that will really take us up to chapter 10, verse 18. So we have six chapters here where our focus is going to be the ins and outs of Jesus as the high priest. The writer's passion, and again, we don't know who wrote this particular epistle, but the writer's passion is to establish the greatness of the high priest position of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the, the bulk of the letter. That's what he wanted to get to. That's where he wants us to spend the majority of our time. I'm going to use several quotes from uh, some different writers here. Arthur Pink is where I'm going to begin. He says this, The central design of the Holy Spirit in this epistle needs to be kept steadily before the mind of the reader. That design was to prove the superiority of Christianity over Judaism. Remember, that's where we best, what we talked about, right? Everything has been about Jesus is better. He goes on, The center and glory of Judaism was the divinely appointed priesthood. What then had Christianity to offer at this point? The unbelieving Jews would be apt to say to their Christian brethren, your new religion is deficient in the very first requisite of a religion. You have no high priest. How are your sins to be pardoned when you have none to offer expiatory oblations for you? How are your wants to be supplied when you have none to make intercession for you to God? Again, and, and with their family and their friends and everything that they've been used to, there was the priest and there were the sacrifices and, and all of their life was wrapped up into that. They were grounded in that. They were uh, uh, found that to be sufficient for their relationship to God. And now all of a sudden the question can be asked, now who's going to do that for you? Well, the answer is Jesus. Jesus is our high priest. 
Now then, why spend six chapters on that? With all the other things going on in the world, with people out of work and this pandemic which has taken hold of the globe, suicides are up, marriages are being destroyed, families are falling apart. Truth is hard to find. Those are the relevant issues of the day. So, why are we going to spend this amount of time, and you know if we're spending six chapters, and you know my track record is we could spend a lot of time in these six chapters. Let me give you two critical points to understand. If we're really going to zero in on this and and be able to to thrive on this whole process and to be able to endure really for six chapters two things we need to know the overwhelming majesty of the thrice holy god we need to be caught up into that we need to be just raptured into that we we need the isaiah vision of who god is and, and that has to be an overriding factor for, to drive us through these chapters. The second critical point is a true sense of one's sinfulness and unworthiness. Those two things. The holiness of God, the sinfulness of man. The holiness of God and my sinfulness. Now, as you're sitting there saying, yeah, you are. No, I, we're saying, I say mine collectively, all right? So uh, we're just, just talking about talking about me, we're talking about, my, I'm talking about yours. And our position before a holy God. If these two points do not grip our soul, then yes, the next few weeks will probably be a drag for us. Another writer says this, one of the reasons that the Old Testament is indispensable to understanding the New Testament is exactly here, since on the one hand it provides us with a sense of the sovereignty, majesty, and power of God, and on the other hand it confronts us with the reality of human failures and needs. In light of these two points, the importance of sacrifices and priests readily emerge. I need a high priest. Because of who I am. Here's another little nugget that you can chew on during the course of the week. Growth in the Christian life requires gaining a clear understanding of who God is and who you are, which drives you in desperation to the cross of Jesus Christ. I know who I am. Uh, and, and, and as you get older, unfortunately, the more you know. And, and the more you know, the more you don't like sometimes. You, you, you're just looking at it. How, how can I still be fighting some of these things? Or why should I be fighting these things? Or I thought this was gone and now it's back. John Calvin says this, Nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts. The knowledge of God and of ourselves. The knowledge of God and ourselves. Now based on that which we've done this morning, class, our knowledge of God is based on what? 
Scripture, and Scripture tells us what we know about God. He's holy. He's thrice holy. That's what I know about God, what I learned about myself. I'm a sinner. Those are the two things. The knowledge that comes from the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. I have to know. That's true and sound wisdom. Calvin goes on and says, man never achieves a clearer knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinize himself. For we always seem to ourselves righteous and upright and wise and holy. See, our pride keeps us there. See, our our pride has a hard time saying, I was wrong, please forgive me. My pride has a hard time accepting responsibility, so therefore I, I play the blame game. I'm looking for somebody out there when it's the ugliness of my own heart, the ugliness of my own soul. I don't want to deal with that. It's much easier for me to deal with what's going on on the outside. My knowledge of God, He is holy, knowledge of myself, I'm a sinner. I need a high priest. Going back to a Puritan writer, Thomas Watson, if you would be preserved from gross, presumptuous sin, get your hearts fired with love to God. Love has great force in it. It is as strong as death. It breaks the league between the heart and sin. Two things in God cause love. His glorious beauty, His astonishing love. What a wonder of love was it to give his son out of his bosom and lay such a jewel to pawn for our redemption. The glories of God's beauty and the magnitude of his love, like two lodestones, draw our love to God. If we love him, we shall not sin against him. He who loves his friend will not by any means displease him. Remember when you were growing up, what kept you from disobeying your parents? Fear, and that's real, right? The the fear of the consequences of what could happen to me if I disobey them at this particular stage. And some of that was 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 ground into us. I mean, we we learned fear by failure, right? Uh, we learned what the consequences were going to be by hopefully consistent parents who followed through on everything they said that they were going to do for us. So fear was one factor that kept us from, and then the fear of those consequences, one factor to keep us from disobeying. Same thing happens to the, or disobeying the law. One of the most <coughs> thought-provoking things I, I, I've come across in probably years, and I've and read this a long time, to have a true understanding of who you are and your character and your soul, what would you do if absolutely nobody on earth would find out about it? What would you do? What would you be willing to do if you realize absolutely nobody on earth, there would be absolutely no consequences upon this earth? What would you be willing to do? You know, what... What, uh, what, what store would perhaps you rob? Uh, what, what, uh, what, what rule, what law would you break if you absolutely knew no one was going to be around? And uh, 
uh, and I got this from a good source, and I don't, don't even know what state it was, but, but there was a lady who was, she was uh, stopped for going 92 in a uh, 50 mile an hour speed limit. And, and they, they wrote her up, gave the, the ticket, and, 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 and sent her off. And when they sent them off, they, they put a time on there. Twelve minutes later, she was stopped for going 112 in a 50 mile an hour thing. I mean, what possesses somebody to do? Well, I know I possessed it because after the second one, they searched her car and they found some drugs. But, um, but what would you do if you didn't think Annie, but would you hit the, you know, you're not going to make it out on I-70 with that construction area, 140 mile an hour, but what would you do if you knew no one else was going to find out? That's the true character of her soul. What, what keeps us from disobeying? What keeps us from sinning? Conversation of four men. The first one said the fear of hell. The second one said the joys of heaven. The third one said the odiousness of sin. The fourth said that which keeps me from sin is love to God. What motivates us to obey God? Is it our love or is it our fear? Is it our love for Him or is it the, uh, uh, the, the thought of consequences that may come along our way? Do we ever look upon our heart at a time of sin and we recognize, I really don't love God the way I thought I did? Because that's the only reason I did what I did. When it gets right down to it, I genuinely don't love God. I love me more than I love God. I love my will more than God's will. And so, therefore, I'm willing to disobey. What's all this point to? I need a high priest. Chapter 5, verse 1. Four. Here, the, the writer is out to describe the better priesthood. Jesus is better. He's the best uh, uh, prophet we've had, the communicator of, of Scripture. He's, he's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's, he's better. Better than what? Back to verse 15, the last chapter. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Of all the, the priests who are out there, this is the best one. He, he's going he's to be better. Now please keep in mind, when this was written, the temple was still standing. Sacrifices were still being offered. The priesthood was still functioning as it uh, had basically deteriorated at that particular time, but it was still operating. But yet we're told to, verse 16, come boldly. We're told that the high priest, when he had that day of atonement, when he went into the Holy of Holies, there was a little trepidation involved with that. If you don't do it exactly right, there's no guarantee that they're not going to have to drag you out of there. And so because the, the background of the readers of this Save Jews. Uh, because of the fact that the temple's still standing there. And then their life has changed. Now Jesus is the Messiah. This whole idea of a Jesus as a high priest is totally new to them. I mean, this is totally foreign. This is a new concept. 
The book of Hebrews, folks, is the only book after the book of Acts that describes Jesus as a high priest. And whenever the high priest position was used in the Gospels in the book of Acts, it was in opposition to Jesus. Jesus did not come from the family of Aaron. That's what they understood the priest to be. In fact, Scripture, when we're going to read, he comes after another order, the order of Melchizedek, verse 6 will tell us. Now, Jesus could not perform, he could not go to the, to the temple and perform any sacrifices. He, he wasn't of the right lineage. And so the writer here is going to take this time to describe and to explain who this new high priest is. What do we see? There are three essential qualities for a priest. Verses 1 through 4. The first one appointed on man's behalf. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained. He's appointed for men and things pertaining to God. And so here's a priest, here's an individual who has to deal with the things concerning God. And as such, he's functioning here as a link between God and man. The second characteristic, the second quality that he must have, that he must, that he has to have this compassion, verse 2, can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. So there's an identity with those men who he's representing because he's gone through their experiences. He has sympathy with them because of their weakness of the flesh. Verse 2, it says, who have compassion on the ignorant. I think those are simply the, 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 the sins that are committed because we're not thinking about them. And on them that are out of the way, that's their rebellious attitude. So sins of omission, sins of commission. Here, here's a, an individual as a priest who understands that. That qualifies for him as such. He's appointed on behalf of men, he has this identity with men. But then verse 3, And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. Though man taketh this honor unto himself, and he is called of God. Not only is he he's appointed for man, he's appointed by God. Three qualities he must have. And so this priesthood then is not a coveted office to be taken, but a glorious privilege to which one is called. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 and verse 9. You are a royal priesthood. It's not a privilege, it is a calling. And as a calling then it becomes a privilege. It's not something I seek, it's something that I have been called to. And so here's a priest, here's his work, here's his experience, here's his appointment. And what the writer then does, beginning in verse 5 down through verse 10, he addresses each one of those, and we're actually going to come back to those, Lord willing, next week. One other thing by introduction. The high priest, as high priest, was over all other priests. The office was established by God through Moses, instructions which Moses received in the Pentateuch. Again, that's why the book of Leviticus is so critical to understand, understanding the book of Hebrews. The office of this high priest was normally hereditary, generally conferred for life. The candidate was, uh, you go through the Old Testament, was, was consecrated in a seven-day ceremony with the 
with the proper sacrifices, the, the proper uh, adornment, clothing that was given to him. And it was very specific. You've come before God. This is the way you are to dress. The high priest was bound to a higher degree of ritual purity. There were some things which uh, others could do, which he could not do, especially in the line of marrying or touching a dead body. The high priest then becomes a key word in the book of Hebrews, used 17 times. Again, as we said earlier, you don't see it after the book of Acts. And every occasion was someone in opposition to the person of Jesus. So, again, then at, at the time here, at, at the writing of Hebrews and, and in this office, as, as we've read about it and as we've highlighted here from the Old Testament, at this particular time in history, the office had become corrupt. It was the high position, the high priest was often going to the highest bidder. It was no longer a, a lifer. In fact, there's times you may have more than one high priest living with that title. So, let me wrap up today. Chapter 5, verse 1. This high priest was taken from among men. One more quote. This one from Spurgeon. Notice that the high priests were taken from among men, not from among angels. Hence our Lord Jesus Christ is not concerned with angels, but He's concerned with the descendants of Abraham. The Jewish high priests were ordained for men. They acted on behalf of men. They stood in the place of men. So the Lord Jesus Christ stood in the room, in the place, in the stead of His people, that he might offer to God for them two things. Again, verse 1, that he may offer gifts and sacrifices. He offers two things, gifts. That is, such offerings as the Jew made when he presented the fine flour and oil and other bloodless oblations that were only intended for thanksgiving. Christ offered thanksgiving unto his Father, and that offering was a sweet savor unto God. But besides those gifts, the priest offered sacrifices. And our Lord Jesus Christ did the same, for He was made a sin offering for us, though He Himself knew no sin. I repeat again, I need a high priest. The holiness of God, the sinfulness of my own heart, demands, requires a high priest. One more Quote by Irving Jensen, The knowledge and assurance of how great this high priest Jesus is should lift the drifting believer from spiritual lethargy to vital Christian maturity. Stated another way, the anecdote for backsliding is a growing personal knowledge of Jesus. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we seek your blessing upon the Word of God to our hearing this morning. Lord, there are some things which we have here that we can truly chew on during the course of this week. Focusing upon the holiness of God and my own heart, sinfulness in my own soul. And Lord, I trust that that understanding and that growing understanding will drive us in desperation to the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, our goal each and every Sunday is to lift up Jesus, for Jesus himself said, if I be lifted up, I will draw men unto myself. Lord, that's where we want our focus to be today.
Oh dear God, You are our fortress. The name of Jesus is wonderful. He is our counselor. He is mighty God. He's the Prince of Peace. The Lord of Lords. King of Kings. But Lord, in our study today, He's, he's our intercessor. He's our advocate. Therefore, we should go to Him. And so, Lord, I pray that our study of Jesus as High Priest will be sufficient for our foundation. That, Lord, in all the other stuff going on out there, we can come back to this reality. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. He's now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high there to make intercession for me. Oh, dear God, I pray you help us as we continue to learn for Jesus' sake and amen.